We've gathered together today to worship a holy God, a mighty God, one who is so set apart and sin-free that we cannot come into His presence were it not for His love and compassion that compelled Him to send Jesus to the earth. Jesus, our great high priest, as we talked about. Jesus, the perfect mediator that paves a way uh, for us to have a relationship with God. So we bow before trembling. Uh, we fear, we revere our mighty, holy God, but we also come before Him confidently. We come before a God who is crazy about us, who loves us, whose greatest desire is to share a relationship with us now and forevermore. We are blessed. We've come to praise His name and to lift up the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the whole church said, Amen. And the whole church said, Yes. Thank you for being with us today. We're on the tail end of our fall break, and I know we still have some gaps and some people who are uh, finishing up their trips, some people who've made it back. We're glad that you have safely returned to us. Uh, but we also have plenty of visitors here. We're really thankful for your presence with us today, and as always, we hope you'll stick around and give us a chance to get to know you. Let me remind you, as Grady said, next Sunday night is our unity service where we invite all the churches of Christ in Franklin County and beyond, and it's not just limited uh, to, to people in churches of Christ. Anybody is welcome to come. It has been a very uplifting time together the past two years. This building has been packed. We've had uh, above 550, the first year we had 600 people gathered here, singing songs of praise, praying together, enjoying fellowship. That's this Sunday night, a week from today. We need your help, we need you to bring food. There's a sign-up list in the lobby on your way out, please, as you pass by. Sign up to bring finger foods. We'll have help from other congregations, but we all need to step up and make sure we have plenty of food. We'll meet next Sunday night at 5 in here. And then we'll, after the service is over, mosey down to the Van Zandt Center uh, and enjoy a fellowship meal together. I'm looking forward to that. I hope that you'll decide to be here. We are tracking through a sermon series that we're calling More About Jesus. We're trying to understand Jesus from, really from a Jewish perspective. We want to understand Jesus as those first century Jews did when he came on the scene. And the way that we're doing that is digging, rummaging through all of the images and concepts and ideas of the Old Testament that point ahead to the arrival of Jesus Christ. And I told you last week we were starting sort of a, a mini-series, a trilogy in the midst of this larger series in which we're talking about these three images, Jesus as prophet, priest, and this morning, King. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the great high priest. Next week we'll talk about how he's the ultimate prophet. Today we're talking about how he is the king on David's throne. How Jesus fulfills these three roles or offices from the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. And very simple PowerPoint today. Just one slide. And so... We are going to start in Luke chapter 1 at verse 26, a very familiar place. But since we don't have the text up here, you will need a Bible. You will need access to God's Word in some way. So would you please 
Grab your Bible, grab a Bible on the rack in front of you, or open up your smartphone or tablet and get into that Bible app and read along with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Don't forget that. Important detail. And the virgin's name, you know her name. You've heard the story. You've heard it if you've been in church, if you've been a Christian for many years, you have heard it. Her name, of course, was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, as any of us would be, if an angel appeared to us, And she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. We can scarcely imagine what this young girl, this young virgin girl, who was not yet married, betrothed, uh, pledged to be married to this man Joseph, this young, probably teenage girl, how she must have felt in this moment when an angel of the Lord appears to her and announces this incredible news. And he's not finished. He will be great, according to the angel in verse 32. Speaking of the son that she is to bear. And he will be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. It is an understatement to say that this son that Mary was to give birth to was to be a very special boy. David. We we see here a mention of the throne of David. The angel says the son who will come from your womb, will sit on the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. David is mentioned here. Mary, as a faithful Jewish girl, would have known about David, would have learned about David, who was the greatest king of Israel, the king to to end all kings. He wasn't the first. Saul has that distinction. David is the second, but he is the, he's the, the ultimate king, the epitome of uh, the, the, the monarchy of Israel. The greatest king. Why? Well, God had told him, God had told David himself that he would establish his throne forever. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I will provide offspring for you and your kingdom will never come to an end. Your throne will never be overthrown. But as Mary sits in Nazareth, we need to know something here. Because God's promise to David has been, at least from the people's perspective, disrupted. The throne, the kingdom of David, had long since been lost. And Mary probably knows this. It was a thing of the distant past. David's son Solomon ruled over the kingdom of God's people, the Jews, after him. But after Solomon, it was split into two. There was Israel, the northern kingdom, That was eventually conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And several years later, Judah, the southern kingdom, was conquered by the Babylonians and God's people were scattered. They were exiled. A few stayed behind. 
Eventually, the ones who were sent out drifted back into the land of promise, but it was never the same as before. It was never like it was in the good old days of kings Saul, David, and Solomon. And there was a revolving door of rule by foreign powers that led to several uprisings and revolts by God's people, by the frustrated Jews. And the current king, the man on the throne, Herod Herod the Great, he wasn't a descendant of David, and he really wasn't a sovereign ruler. He served at the behest of the Roman Empire. And so all of this history must be kept in mind here. And it was certainly in Mary's mind. And it reminds us that the promise delivered by God through the angel to Mary is an extremely extraordinary promise. The promise that Mary's offspring will revive the kingdom. That she will bear a son uh, whose earthly father, Joseph, is a descendant, a direct descendant in the lineage of King David. She will bear a son whose name is Jesus, who will be born in Bethlehem, which just so happens to be David's, and it's not so happens to be, it's not a coincidence at all. It's God's plan. That was David's hometown, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, this son, the angel says, will be a king who will reign on David's throne forever. There will be no end to his reign. Now this idea of forever, this is a difficult one for us to grasp. We can't quite wrap our minds around forever because everything that we know in this earth, in our lives, has an end. Companies and corporations, they have an end. They don't last forever. Some that seem to stand the test of time, even those fall. My my brother was part of a great American company that has been a part of the fabric of American life for over a century, but they are struggling right now to the point where he decided he needed to get out. Corporations come to an end. Companies Come to an end. When I first moved to Winchester 11 years ago, there were no fewer than three video or DVD rental stores. And now, they're all gone. And kids these days will never know the pain of wanting to rent a certain movie and pulling that card and there are none left. Oh, devastation. That whole industry is gone. We stream all of our entertainment now. Everything comes to an end. Corporations and companies... Personal brands don't last forever. People like Taylor Swift or Kanye West, these larger-than-life figures in our society that seem to gather for themselves a following, and of late we've been a bit obsessed with their politics. Do you think in a hundred years people will still be talking about Taylor Swift or Kanye West? They and the kingdoms they have built around themselves, their brand... It will have been long forgotten. Everything comes to an end here. There's there's nothing forever. Do you think that in a hundred years anybody will care about how the football teams of the University of Alabama or Tennessee or Auburn or Georgia fared in the 2018-19 football season? In a hundred years. You think anybody will be talking about if their teams were winners or losers that year? Everything that we know comes to an end. Empires and nations, they don't last forever. When the New Testament was was written, Rome was on top of the world. 
Everybody bowed before the emperor. And they wanted to squash out Christianity when it began. And, and they placed Jesus on the cross. Rome has long since fallen. And, and we live in a young nation. Relatively young. The United States of America. A great nation. A nation for which we are all thankful. But there are no guarantees that this nation that we live in will last forever. In fact, oftentimes, here lately, it seems like we are being pulled apart at the seams. So many divisions and so much bitterness. It's very sad to see. But it's a reminder that we have not been given assurance that this country will last forever. Everything comes to an end. And it is good for us to get together and remind ourselves that our primary allegiance is not to a, a, an earthly nation. It's not to the United States of America. It's not to a democracy uh, uh, or, or a constitutional republic or however you want to define our government. Our primary allegiance is to a kingdom and a sovereign king who sits on his throne at this very hour and his name is Jesus Christ. And it is only the kingdom of Jesus, it is only the reign of Christ that has no end. That is the only forever entity that we know about. Only His kingdom is an unshakable one, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. But this all gets me thinking, why is it that I, that you, that we are so wrapped up in all this temporary stuff? In all of these temporary concerns, we spend so much time and money and mental energy. We expend so much of ourselves obsessed with sports and politics and, and branding and companies when we know that all those things will someday pass away. That they don't last forever. There's something else about Jesus' forever kingdom that we must know. It's not about one nationality. The kingdom of God is not about one ethnicity anymore like it was with Israel in the Old Testament. Now, everybody can enter through obedient faith in King Jesus. And so the kingdom of God now looks different than the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. The kingdom of God in the Old Testament was located within a certain people group in a certain land. The kingdom of God now is in pockets and outposts and places all over the globe. That's the way God designed it to work. Infusing and influencing the cultures of every nation all over the planet. That's the kingdom of God. And it's comprised of people of all different types of backgrounds and races who have a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. Who have decided to place their faith in King Jesus. You. Yes, I'm talking to you. You can be a citizen in the everlasting kingdom of Jesus if you place Jesus on the throne of your life. And the question is, is Jesus on the throne of your life? And again, I'm asking you that question. I mean, ask yourself that. Think about that. Spend a few moments... In self-reflection, does Jesus sit on the throne of my life? Is He ruling me? Is He the one in charge? Do I allow Jesus to get the final word, the final say, when it comes to every decision that I 
snake? Is he on the throne or is it something else? Is it my job? Maybe my occupation is what is calling the shots in my life. Maybe my occupation, my vocation is getting the final say instead of Jesus. Maybe you are a banker or a lawyer or a teacher or a farmer who happens to be a Christian. When instead it should be you are a Christian, but you also do some banking and farming and teaching and lawyering on the side. You're a Christian first. Jesus is on the throne. He's your king. You know that your first allegiance is to him. Or maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's whatever you're interested in. Maybe that's taken the top seat in your life. Maybe that is what is determining how you spend your money and your time and your effort. Or maybe it's your desires. And I'm talking here about your sinful desires. Maybe you just feel, feel completely controlled by whatever it is that trips you up. Whatever it is that Satan uses to put his hooks in you, you're hooked right now. And that is what is seated at the throne of your heart. Or maybe it's your health, your body. Now we all know our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and therefore we should care for them and we should watch what we eat and we should exercise because God cares about our bodies and our bodies house His Spirit. But for some of us, our bodies have become more than just a temple. They have become themselves an object of worship. And we have fallen into idolatry in our obsession with how we look, our health, our fitness. Maybe that's what's on the throne. Maybe it's your spouse or your significant other. Listen, marriage is a blessing, but no spouse, no husband or wife should sit on the throne of your life. The same goes for your children. I think a lot of families in our culture have a problem. We have allowed our children to lead the way instead of parents leading them. We've allowed their activities and their schedules to set the tone, to plan the course for our lives. They sit on the throne when it should be us telling and teaching and showing them, no, that is God and God's place only. He's our king. The common thread that runs through all of these is your, you, me, my. We have made ourselves the kings and queens of our lives. I think about an old home video of Lauren's from, it was a birthday party that she had, and our friend Blake, our lifelong friend, was there. Uh, and I think maybe it was, they had crowns or something, and he put a crown on his head, and he's running around saying, I'm the king, Emma, I'm the king, Emma, I'm the king, Emma. And we get a good laugh out of that, watching that, watching him running around saying that. But we're just like that little boy, Blake, aren't we? Running around, claiming to be the sovereign rulers of our lives, claiming to sit on the throne claiming to be the kings and queens. We're the king, aren't we? We're the queen, aren't we? My problem is, I like to establish my own kingdom around me. I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots. I want to sit on the throne. And the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel that I need to be slapped across the face with, knocked on the, over the side of the head with, I don't know about you, but I need this truth. I need 
to be reminded of it on a daily basis. The only king who deserves my allegiance is Jesus because His is the only king that will never end. The only kingdom that will never end. Excuse me. Let me say that again. The only, because this is truth. Let me speak truth to you. Let me lay some truth on you. Because we live in a world full of lies and deception. And that stuff creeps into our brains. And we come together, we get together as the church in the assembly to be reminded of truth. So here it is. The only king who deserves my allegiance is Jesus. Because his is the only kingdom that will never end. How foolish to put me in the place of authority as if I know better than God. To embrace an insignificant temporary kingdom. Johnny Cash, I may have shared this before, toward the end of his life, you know, a a difficult life in many ways, full of mistakes and addictions. His voice gravelly. From all of his experiences, he sang a cover song called Hurt. And in that song, he sang this line. Now this is Johnny Cash. Someone who gained a lot of prominence throughout his life. One of the most popular country music stars there ever was. And and really whose brand extended beyond the country music genre. Who once upon a time had his own TV show. Who sold millions of albums at the end of his life. These are the words that he sang. You can have it all. My empire of dirt. You can have it all of my successes and my accomplishments. At the end of it, it all amounts to a big pile of dirt. Jesus wants to dethrone you. And he wants to dethrone me. We don't belong in that seat of prominence. Only he does. He wants to. For our own good, move us out of that seat so that he can sit there where he rightfully belongs so that he can be the king that he is. One of the most interesting things I have ever, that I've been able to do since I've been here, since moving here, was to speak at a memorial service for Sir John Templeton. Some of you probably know that name. Sir John passed away, born in Winchester, Tennessee, passed away in the Bahamas in 2008. But for various legal reasons, his family could not bring his body back to the United States until 2016. And when he was finally brought back home, the family asked me for some reason if I could say a few words at a private burial service for John Templeton. Sir John was born and raised here, went to graduate, uh, I think maybe one of the first from this county to go and graduate from Yale. He became a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. He was an incredibly successful investor and fund manager, one of the wealthiest men in the world. In 1999, Money Magazine named him arguably the greatest global stock picker of the century. He was also an extremely generous philanthropist, giving away over one billion dollars in his lifetime to charitable causes he established the john templeton foundation Uh, he's the reason we have the laws of life essay in this area he's the reason that we have the library up on uh the the mountain in sewanee along the way he was even knighted by queen elizabeth ii and so it was striking to me 
that after a life that extraordinary came such a small memorial service with just a handful of family members in a small town cemetery, just right up here, uptown, at the city cemetery. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Sir John's remarkable life. He did a lot of wonderful things. I'm just saying to you that no matter how successful you become, that's where we all end up. In a lonely graveyard. And when we do, we will want to have decided if Jesus was the king of our lives. Jesus Christ, He is, according to the Scriptures, according to Revelation, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And someday, every single knee will bow before Him. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. All the tongues that deride Him, that mock Him, that make fun of Him now, they will someday confess that He is Lord. All the people now who would never dream of bowing before King Jesus, they will someday bow a knee before Him. And you want to know the blessing involved in this? The blessing is for you. You can do that today. And I would recommend that you do that today. That you not wait until then. That you confess the name of Jesus. That you submit to His sovereign rule. That you become a citizen of His everlasting kingdom. Listen, you can respond like His mother Mary who said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She responded in faith. She responded in obedience. She responded in submission. She said, Let it be to me according to your word. You today can say, Behold, I am your servant, my king. And I want to place you on the throne of my life. And I bow before you today and forevermore. Today you can make Jesus the king of your life. You can come and confess his name, repent of your sins, be baptized so that those can be washed away. If you're struggling in any other way, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.